Erin Edwards has dedicated her career to service. She got her start in front of a high school classroom serving two full terms of AmeriCorps. Since that time, she has over a decade of experience in the nonprofit sector, managing a portfolio of health investments for United Way, directing a network of soup kitchens, food pantries, and homeless shelters, and funding programs for youth in foster care, and innovations led by women and girls around the globe. Erin has lived in the US, France, Canada, and Haiti, and she has a master's degree in international development. In Riverside, Erin sat on the board of the Riverside Downtown Partnership and was the former chair of Glocally Connected, a refugee-serving organization in Riverside County. She lives with her partner Liz and their young daughter Ramona in downtown Riverside. Elected to the council in November 2019, Erin is proud to represent Ward 1. Welcome to the Persist podcast. Today we are so pleased to have with us Riverside City Council member Erin Edwards. Erin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Denise. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Uh, Let's just start with you telling us a bit about yourself and also your path into politics. Well, my background is in the nonprofit sector. And I worked for United Way, for a network of soup kitchens, food pantries, homeless shelters. I've worked for a a global women's fund and honestly never thought about running for office as something that I would ever do. And so I still pinch myself sometimes that I'm in this role and I'm so grateful to be here, but my path into politics was really a lot of other people saying you should run for office and me saying that's preposterous I will never be running for office that's never something that I want to do to finally realizing that sometimes rolling up your sleeves and getting the work done means pushing yourself to do things you never dreamed so here I am I love that. And I'm so glad that people pushed you into politics. It's been really fantastic to watch your journey thus far as the Ward 1 council member in Riverside. And you've you've done some amazing things already in your short time on the council. And I'm curious to know about, you know, what is the accomplishment that you're most proud of thus far during your time on the council? Riverside and particularly Ward 1 that I represent. Maybe I'll start by just sharing a bit about my district. It's the the downtown core of the city of Riverside and the surrounding neighborhoods. So the the Wood Streets, the Grand Neighborhood, Hunter Park, and the North Side, which goes all the way to the county line. And the North Side of the city of Riverside has very strong agricultural roots and very engaged neighbors, a beautiful park, Reed Park at the center of it. And as the logistics industry has grown and grown and grown in our region, it's become the area of the city and in the surrounding cities where warehouses have been placed because there is land for them. But we have learned and we are still learning that just because there's open land doesn't mean that a warehouse is the best use of the land for a neighborhood. And even before running for office, I heard from neighbors that the warehouses 
in that area were bringing trucks and the truck traffic that was crisscrossing through neighborhoods was destroying roads. It was crumbling foundations of people's homes. It was ruining the air and Riverside before my time, people will tell me how bad the air quality was in our region and much progress has been made. But with a continued focus on the logistics industry and not simultaneously focusing on health of neighborhoods and electrification of trucks and very important ways to make the logistics industry more compatible with cities and neighborhoods. We're, we're seeing a north side neighborhood that has children that are struggling with asthma and our region is known for having the, the worst air quality for 19 of 20 years running. So because of this and what I had heard on the campaign, we said as, as a ward one office, you know, we really, one of the One of the first things we need to do is we need to figure out how we can stop warehouse development in this neighborhood. So right away, we looked at putting a moratorium on warehouse development in this specific geographic area. And on March 10th of 2020, which I remember because it was an extraordinary day, it was an extraordinary moment for me uh, and for the whole neighborhood. And also the very last public meeting we had before COVID shut down everything, but the the chambers were packed with people from the neighborhood just demanding that we do more and that we think higher for what was possible in this area. And so we were able to pass the short-term warehouse moratorium and then extend that moratorium to just about eight months. So it was through the end of the calendar year in 2020. And by the time that moratorium expired, we had a specific plan in place called the Northside Specific Plan for that neighborhood. And that that was a long process in itself. And we knew that it was coming to a close. So it was a matter of just getting the timing right. And we managed to just do it. Uh, So now the neighborhood has, has a plan with better zoning that will accommodate all the dreams of the neighborhood. And now we're on the exciting part, which is looking at how to implement those dreams and bring in uh, hopefully a master developer who will be able to make sure that this area that's a food desert has a grocery store and that people are able to have more walkable communities and outdoor spaces. And so to me, that has been one of the accomplishments of which I'm the most proud of. That is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and it's been great to be able to be witness to this amazing work that you're doing, especially in the inland region of Southern California. As as you've alluded to, warehouses have become a really big controversy because they're causing so much environmental damage, so much traffic, uh, all sorts of other issues. So I I think it's fantastic that you've been able to accomplish this already in such a short amount of time. And as we transition, I want to ask you about what it's like Uh, being not only just a woman in politics, but also the first openly LGBTQ person on the Riverside City Council. I know that um, you and I have spent some time together in the political arena. We first really got to know each other in 2018 as we were in the same Emerge California cohort. Emerge California is, of course, a program that trains women to run for office. 
And, um, you know, we, we know, especially from our eMERGE training, but also from our lived experience, we know that women face more barriers and challenges in the political arena, but also LGBTQ folks as well. So I'm curious about you and your specific experience as a woman and any other challenges that you have faced thus far. Well, I'll start by saying that I feel very lucky in so many ways to have colleagues on the dais who are thoughtful and come with many perspectives, but also in many ways were were aligned on some of the, the big issues. That said, being a woman in politics is hard because these are systems and structures that were never built for us. And, you know, I think the biggest challenge has just been feeling like I'm heard and feeling like I have to work 10 times harder just to have my ideas heard than some of my colleagues and to be seen as an innovator. Riverside is the city of arts and innovation. And I'm in meetings all the time where people say to me, well, Erin, I know your heart. And, and that's so kind. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that people see the, the heart and the passion that I bring. But I, I also hope they know my head and that my head is full of data, statistics, best practices, and that when I'm looking at an issue and talking about ways that we can move the needle, it isn't just because of what's in my heart driving those decisions. It's because I'm trying to think of what is the smartest way that we can achieve the goals that we're working toward as a city. And sometimes I wonder how often are men in meetings where someone will say, when they bring an idea or pose a solution, well, I know your heart, but, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that that's such an honest and brilliant response. And as someone who knows you and as someone who gets a, a front row seat, not only to your heart, but also to your brilliant mind, I'm excited to ask you this next question because I know that you are an avid reader and also an avid dreamer about the future. What are some of the changes to life as we know it that you think we should implement as we move through and hopefully out of this pandemic in the near future? Well, I keep saying to people that one of my biggest fears is that as we move through and out of the pandemic, as you said, that life will go back to exactly the way that it was before, because we knew that there were enormous gaps and inequities before the pandemic and COVID-19 has just highlighted and exacerbated them. So for me, I'm hoping that we understand just how thin the safety net is actually for all of us and how for those who are the most vulnerable, not just in times of global pandemic, but all the time, a family situation can change in a blink of an eye. 
And I hope that as cities and as networks of nonprofit organizations and as businesses are thinking about their bottom line and the ways that they, they work within communities, that we can all be more focused on what those inequities are and how we can erase them. Absolutely. So well said. And I know that this pandemic has presented so many added challenges for so many of us. I'm curious to know what your strategies are for prioritizing. I know that sometimes the question around balance is a tricky one, especially for women like us who are working multiple jobs and doing all sorts of other things. But I'm curious to know about your strategies for prioritizing, because that's really what it is. Uh, Prioritizing all that you have on your plate, family, work, all of the other things. You're right. I think often the question is asked about work-life balance. And I had uh, a boss whom I really admire who would always just say, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life integration. And I thought, well, that, that's exactly right. I, I think, you know, having the goal of balance, uh, often balance is impossible to achieve. But integration, I think you can get right. So in terms of prioritizing, a lot of, I, I know a lot of people will tell you and tell women, especially like, you just can't take it personally. You can't take it personally, especially in roles like this. You, you do what you think is right. And you have people who tell you that it was absurd or that you're ridiculous or that it, it will never work. And, you know, you just can't take it personally. This work is very personal to me because this is where I live. This is where my house is. This is where I'm raising a child. It's where my partner and I hold hands walking down the street. So the decisions that I'm making are extremely personal. And so for me, integration is the way I, I have to think about it. You know, I'll I want to spend time with my daughter and I want to participate in the virtual insect fair for the city. So we'll do that by putting an insect t-shirt on my daughter and reading to her in the new library, a book about insects and using it as a video to be part of the insect fair. And when I need to be at an event, I'll look for ways to be able to incorporate my toddler, to be able to incorporate my partner so we can do it together because we all want to continue to be visible and to do this important work. It isn't, it isn't just me. So I think in, in terms of prioritization, I mean, there are times when you just have to, to unplug your phone and, and say, this, this is the moment that I'm taking just for me. But mostly it's just about finding ways to, to do it all concurrently. I love that you talked about how you're integrating your daughter into this work in politics specifically, because I think you'll remember, I won't name names, but there was a speaker during our Emerge training who basically said that she's had to sacrifice the ability to have a family in order to pursue her political career. And she's been in politics much longer than us. But I, I see, you know, with our generation and the people who have been elected in the last couple of years, especially in this region, there are so many mothers who are also elected officials. And I I love seeing kids on the campaign trail and also, you know, at your events as a council member. So maybe you could speak a bit to that about the importance of bringing your daughter into this political work. Well, it's for her, isn't it? Everything that we're trying to build. So it's vital to me that that we be seen as a family and that the work 
that I'm doing is not just because we'll see the fruits of this labor in my term in this office, but that it will be something that the, the seeds that we are planting now for generations to come. So I, I think it's, you know, not only just one way of managing being a mom and also being in office, but as you pointed out, I think it's so important that we're teaching our daughters, that we're teaching our children the way that change is made and allowing them to be in the room and see what it means to have a seat at the table. And also when we're at that table, that we can have a very literal eye on why we are working so hard. Absolutely. That is so profound and powerful. And I love that you're doing this and you are not only doing this for your daughter, but you know, you're a shining example for so many out there who are watching uh, what you're doing. And I, for one, saw that video of you reading to your daughter in the <laughs> library. And I thought that that was fantastic. So thank you. Thank you for integrating in such a powerful way. You know, you talked about how you didn't think of yourself as someone who is going to run for office. And, you know, you've had a year plus in office now and have been, I mean, you really hit the ground running. You really are a force of nature in Riverside. And it's been fun to watch all that you've been able to accomplish. I'm so curious to know, what do you know now about politics that you wished you had known before you decided to run for office? It's been so fascinating to me, just looking at local government, how many of the decisions that come across my desk are about land and, and the way that we use it. Decisions about real estate. And it's not necessarily that I wish I had known that before, but knowing that now it, it gives me, it just shows more growth edges, right? And, and it makes me question, gosh, I didn't know that the council member's role was so much about real estate transactions. I wonder why it has become that. Is this the way the role is supposed to be? And, you know, move, moving that forward, I guess, to say just because that is the role that council members have played previously doesn't mean that's the way that I need to lead. And shouldn't we be thinking, of course, as I pointed out in the warehouse example, use of land is crucial to our neighborhoods, but shouldn't we be in these roles thinking about so much more than just how much land is worth? And instead thinking about all the assets that we have in the community and the people who live here and how we're leveraging that for the best and highest use. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that is a surprising element of being on a local city council is how many issues do circle around land use. Uh, but I also am glad that you're thinking broader than that. And you're really thinking about the quality of people's day-to-day -day life experiences and the health of your community. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, what the next few years hold for you uh, as you continue your journey in public office. And with that, I know that a lot of our listeners in the Persist audience, especially our college students who are thinking about running for office or getting involved in the local political arena, I'm curious to know if you had one piece of advice, what would you tell them? I would say to find your people and steward your community and, and start right away because 
me being in this position, it isn't just because I worked very hard, though I did work hard. It's because of a movement of people who, with me, we had this vision and we worked hard together and we made it happen. So to those who are thinking of getting involved in politics, be crystal clear about the the change that you want to see in your community. Find the people who see that change and want to work for that change alongside you and grow the tent or grow the umbrella, right? Think think outside the box to throw in one more metaphor about, about who else wants to see this vision and how they might be unlikely allies and how you can work together. And it's in, that's movement building. Mm-hmm. Think about how to grow the movement to get you and your community where you hope to be. That is brilliant advice. Thank you so much, Council Member Aaron Edwards, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Denise. The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.